Blessed are you, Adonai, our God's King in the universe, who sanctifies us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring, the offspring of the people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 5. Our journey through Genesis, we are now in chapter 5. Baruch Hashem. It's been good to study the, the book, right? To dive into all that Hashem wants us to see, which is quite a lot. Baruch Hashem. It says, this is the account of the descendants of Adam. And so, um, it's the book of Adam, as it were. This is the account of the, of the descendants of Adam. On the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. He blessed them and called their name man on the day they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he begot in his likeness and his image, and he named him Seth. And the days of Adam after begetting Seth were 800 years, and he begot sons and daughters. All the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. And Seth lived 807 years before begetting Enosh. And he begot sons and daughters. All the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan, and Enosh lived 815 years and begot Canaan, and he begot sons and daughters. All the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalel, and Canaan lived 840 years after begetting Mahalel, and he begot sons and daughters. All the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. Mahalel lived 830 years and begot Jared, and he begot sons and daughters. All the days of Mahalel's were, uh, were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. And Jared lived 800 years after Enoch and begot sons and daughters. All the days of Jared came to 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. Enoch walked with God for 300 years and begot Methuselah, and he begot sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more, for God had taken him. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. And Methuselah lived 782 years after begetting Lamech, and he begot sons and daughters. All the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years, and he begot sons, and he called his name Noah, saying, This one will bring us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands, from the ground which Adonai has cursed. Lamech lived 595 years, and begot Noah, and he begot sons and daughters. All the days of Lamech were 775 years, and he died. When Noah was 500 years old, Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. It's the end of chapter 5. Let's get into the insights of this and see what Hashem would want us to glean from it. It says in the Midrash Rabbah, we'll begin there. It says, This is the book of the descendants of Adam. On the day that God created man, he made him the likeness of God. What does it mean, what does it mean This is the book of the descendants of Adam. It says in the Midrash Rabbah, Rabbi... Hoshaya the Great began his discourse on our passage by expounding the following verse. Woe to those who try to hide in depths to conceal counsel from Adonai, and their deeds are done in darkness. They say, who sees us and who knows of us? Isaiah 29, 15. Let me just read that again. 
Rabbi Hoshaya the Great began his discourse on our passage by expounding the following verse, Woe to those who try to hide in depths to, con- to, uh, to conceal counsel from Adonai, and their deeds are done in darkness. They say, who sees us and who knows of us? Isaiah 29, 15. Most of us know this, but the enemy tries to trick us a lot of times to think that what we're doing in secret is not going to be found out. But the reality is, and Rebetzin has, has often said this <coughs> throughout our married life, that your wicked deeds or our wicked deeds or whatever will be found out. The enemy will find a way that he can shout it from the, from the rooftops. You can guarantee it. He's just looking for the opportunity. You say, well, I did it behind closed doors. Nobody will know. That's what everybody thinks. That's what every criminal thinks, right? But somehow it, they always get found out. I was uh, going to comment on, on what uh, the Haver read from the... From uh, the Basora, and then I wasn't, and then I read this again, and now I am. But Yeshua said, if you deny me before men, then I'll deny you before my Father, right? Well, what I was going to comment on was a, a, a question that was on the Ask the Rabbi page. There's a page on Facebook. It's a secret page. Secret. <laughs> Called Ask the Rabbi. Don't tell anybody about it. But seriously, though, if you are, if you are committed to Lapid Judaism, number one, and I am your rabbi, number two, that's the two qualifiers, then you can be on the Ask the Rabbi page. You just have to um, ask. All right? So, um, but anyway, somebody put a question on there, and evidently that they know someone uh, who um, at some point in their life went through an Orthodox conversion. Apparently, I don't, I don't know. They just asked me the question. And the Orthodox conversion, during the process, at some point during the process, the rabbis at, said, <coughs> whoever the Beit Dean was, whatever, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And they, of course, said no. And uh, they were like, okay. So you, you renounce all your, your Christian background. They said, oh, yeah, we do. Now, these people, according to the person who asked, I don't know them, I have no idea, but according to the person they asked, they actually believe in Yeshua as the Messiah. So, they were saying they don't believe in Jesus Christ, which I totally get, because many of us, if we were having a dialogue, we would, we would parse that fence. We'd, we'd discuss that difference, right? So, the, they went, allegedly, they went through conversion and the rabbis are like, okay, so you don't believe in JC and you don't believe in Christianity, so great, welcome. But the, the person never said, well, actually, I do believe in Yeshua as the Messiah, the Yeshua from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They did not disclose that to the Beit Din, nor did they disclose that to the community, which is the two things, right? Because you, when you convert, you're converting into a community, right? Just like when you marry, you're marrying into a family. The family would like to know if you're already married or not. That would be important, right? Like you're marrying somebody and you're like, hey, I, will, you, will you be my wife? Yes, I will. Great. Awesome. And you're like, she never asked me if I was already married. And because she didn't ask me if I was already married, I didn't have to say to her I was married. So therefore, it's, it totally makes the covenant awesome. How many of you believe that? Raise your hand. How many of you believe that? If, you're, if, you, if you didn't ask, like, oh, my God, he just asked me to marry me. Are you already married? I mean, like, that's not something you already asked, right? That's not something that's normal, Right? Right? So now, now we have to play these games where the rabbi has to say, okay, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in Yeshua? Do you believe in Yahshua? Do you believe in Yahuashua? Do you believe, you know, we've got to make all the different things, right? So we're not going to join the community and we're not going to mention that we believe in Yeshua. And we're, in fact, and maybe we still do. Eventually you won't. But um, perhaps we still do. And we're just going to minimize him. That is denying him before men. That's the whole point. Is the conversion valid? Is the marriage valid? You answer the question yourself. Don't, you don't need me to ask it. Any covenant that you enter into with deception, is it valid? Really, do I need to answer that question? Any covenant you enter into and you haven't disclosed everything, is that, does that validate the contract? If you enter into a contract, but you, you falsified something on the, on the uh, application, is it a valid contract? No. It's called fraud. Who said fraud? It's fraud. It's called fraud. People oftentimes go to jail for such things. But we want to 
fraudulent, right? I'm just saying. And so we're here right here. But here's the thing. The reason I, I wasn't going to comment on it, and then I wasn't, and I read this again, because it says here, we think that what we're doing is done in secret. See, we forgot that conversion is about God, not about man. So we're, and this is the whole thing about we forget that our life is about God, and so we think that we can sin and God won't care. Or he, won't, he won't even know about it. Somehow we faked him out. We head faked him. I don't believe in JC. Well, I don't. If people ask me that straight up, I would say I don't really believe, you know, in Jesus. And that throws a lot of people off, but it's a conversation starter. And we can parse those lines. We discuss that. But it would be completely dishonest for me to, to, uh, ins- to leave the inference that I don't believe in the Messiah at all. That would be dishonest. So it says here, this is analogous to an architect who built a providence with secret rooms, conduits, and caves. After a while, he was appointed tax collector. In order to avoid paying the taxes, the people who lived in the province would hide from him in the rooms and the caves that he built. And he said to them, I am the one who built the rooms and the caves. So obviously, I know about them, right? I'm the one who introduced you to a Torah life through Messiah. So now when you try to hide in the caves of Torah without Messiah, how do you, I'm the one who built the caves for you. Why then are you hiding yourself in them? It says here, similarly, it states, Woe to those who try to hide in depths to conceal from Hashem, and their deeds are done in darkness. They say, Who sees us and who knows us? The Isaiah passage continues, our, our contrariness, shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? The Israelites like, liken an image to its creator in, plant, in a plant to its planter. Can a product say of its maker, he did not make me? Or a molded thing say of its molder, he did not understand? The Isaiah passage continues, behold, in just a little while, The Lebanon will be a farmland. This means the temple will be rebuilt again and it will become a royal house of God. Maybe soon our lifetime. And farmland will be considered like forest, means that farmland, that is the temple and its environs, will become a forest of men. In other words, not only will there be a third temple, but it will be full of people who are there to serve God in in His way. What does this have to do with the book of the descendants of Adam. Well, it says here, as we continue reading, the Isaiah passage concludes, on that day the deaf will hear the words of a book. This means that on the day those who were as deaf refusing to hear and accept that God is omnipotent, omniscient, will acknowledge the truth that they hear the word of a book. That is the book that is mentioned here. This is the book of the descendants of Adam. Now, there are a couple of different ideas about this book. One of the ideas of this book that's being mentioned here is that this is the book of Torah. The book of Adam is the book of Torah. But there's another idea that this is a, is a unique book. This is a special book that God gave to Adam from, from which he, was able, he had all knowledge, basically. And in this book is written all the generations that would ever live. And whether those generations, whether those individual people, you or I, would be wicked or would be righteous. The good news is we can change where we are in the book. So it says in Ma'am Luiz's commentary, it says here that this book is, the, is, is it says the Torah could have simply said these are the chronicles of Adam. Just as it says, these are the chronicles of Noah. Okay? So it says, and and these are the chronicles of Isaac. Instead, the Torah says, this is the book of the chronicles of Adam. So there's something unique here that the Torah is trying to tell us. This isn't just about uh, Adam's lineage, but this is more about what we're trying to learn about Adam. It says here, God gave Adam. Adam, a book from on high, as we mentioned earlier, through this, all mysteries were revealed to him. 
Adam was not, contrary to the popular depictions, Adam was not a caveman. He was, a, he was not an imbecile. Last night at the table, uh, Hadassah was asking, how did we know, how does man know uh, the, the, the topic had to do with maple syrup? And so uh, the idea was, how did we know that we could get maple syrup from a tree? Who, how did men know this? And who was the first one to try it to make sure it wasn't poison? Right, can you imagine? I wonder if that berry is poison. Try it. I mean, who was that person? That was the caveman that tried it. <laughs> so the idea is, how did, how did Adam know this? How did mankind know these things? And the answer is that Adam knew everything. That God had revealed everything to Adam. He had put it down, in this case, literally in a book. It says, every art, including that of writing, was learned from Adam. He was a great genius and invented them all. And even though it's true that the scripture points out that Yuval was the first uh, musician and Tabal was the first uh, to animal husband and the Tubal Cain was the first swordsmith, all of those arts were learned from Adam. He passed them down to his children. Now, this is important because we have to understand we're reading things we're like, wow, that's a really cool insight. We always have to bring it back to Yeshua. Listen, I want to understand something, that Lapid Judaism is authentic Orthodox, observant, Torah true, whatever uh, adjective you want to use, Judaism centered on Yeshua. Everything points back to him because he is everything. Why is this important about Adam? Because we have to understand that God put everything under Yeshua, gave him all authority, gave him all understanding, just like Adam. So the second Adam has the same full knowledge as the first Adam, only on a higher level because the second Adam is actually a higher, you know, divine manifestation of a Shem Adam. So it says, it is a fundamental principle of Torah that people respect one another. Why? Since man was created by God's command, it is forbidden to dishonor him. What is the root of love your neighbor like yourself? What is the root of that? The answer is, is that when you look at another human being, you are literally looking at the image of the Most High God. Therefore, to treat another human being with cruelty or with, with a lack of care is to, treat, is to look at Hashem and treat him with a lack of care, with a lack of cruel, with, with cruelty. This is why Yeshua said, I was naked, he didn't clothe me. I was in prison, he didn't visit me. I was thirsty, he didn't give me anything to drink. And they said, when, when, when did that ever happen to you? Because if you were thirsty or if you were hungry or if you were in prison or you were naked, man, we, we'd be right there. He said, you haven't done it to any of these people. What I want to engender more than anything this year, and I've talked to the Zakens about it. We had a fast day about it this last week, and that's not going to be the only one we're going to have. We're going to do those uh, often. Is What I want to engender in this synagogue and in Lapid Judaism, the, as, as to coin the, the phrase that uh, Amet said, Lapid, the Lapid nation out there. What I want to do, to take another coin phrase that just, I just thought of and remembered, that Mikhail had said, I want to, in order to Lapidify your life, what I want to engender in you, what, I, what would be more important for me as your rabbi to engender in you more than Torah knowledge, more than deep, all these different uh, revelations which are great and wonderful, but I would, I, if, I, if I could just pick one thing in your life and you say, what would you want me to be, rabbi, more than anything? What I want you to be is somebody who hungers and thirsts for souls. Because Yeshua said, I was hungry and I was thirsty, I was naked and... and you know, you didn't do anything for me. We're going to come back to that in a second. But it says here, since God created man, people must respect each other. You know, it says in here that, um, that you know, they, they, the scientists have found these caveman kind of skulls and skeletons. And it looks like a human being, but it kind of looks like a, a, an ape. And they say that's the missing link, you know. At some point we went from an ape to be human. Why are there still apes? I'm just asking. But it's interesting because the rabbis bring down 
And there's an inside of Ma'am Loez, and I was trying to just find it with my eyes real quick, but I don't think I, I, don't think I marked it, where it says that because of all the debauchery that happened amongst the generation of the flood, that God made some of those men to look like apes. Because they had defiled their image of God so much that he caused them to turn into the image of an ape. So when you see in the museums and the scientists are perplexed, they just don't know Torah. They don't understand the insights. They don't understand what happened. What sin can change your image. How many of you know that? How many of you know that sin can change your image? How many of you know that, that, how many of you can say, don't raise your hand, but how many of you can say that you can look at yourself in the mirror? And I'm not necessarily talking about the beards and the kippahs, but you can look at yourself in the mirror and you can say, I don't even look like the same person from however long ago when you came to know Yeshua. I know that's about me, and it's not because I've gotten older. Adam was alive to witness all the generations up until Methuselah. How about that? It says, after Seth was born, Adam lived an additional 800 years. When he was exactly 930 years old, he died. There's another insight that says that the first person that was born after Adam was Noah. And that when Adam died and Noah was born, one of the reasons they call him Noah after Menachem, after Comforter, was because they thought that because Adam had died, that the curse would end and the child born immediately after the death of Adam, follow the bouncing ball here, would bring about the restoration of all things. So wait a minute. Let's put those puzzle pieces together. What was the human understanding? Remember, these are people who are, they, 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 Adam has been alive and telling them everything he knew about the Ghana Den experience. And they, what they thought was when Adam dies, the curse ends and the, the resurrection of the new child mends a new error. So the, the idea is that Adam had to have communicated this. When I die, the only problem is he didn't realize that it wasn't that Adam. It was the second Adam. When that second Adam dies, that's when the restoration of all things begins. And, the, and Menachem, the Mashiach, one of the names of Mashiach is Menachem, comforter, when Menachem is born. When, when was Menachem born? When Adam died. The Yetzir Hara is a weak robber. Midrash Rabbah 22 and, and Simon 6. This is actually from the Midrash Rabbah from la, the last chapter. We need to pray that Hashem would engender into us a, a spirit of outreach. We're going to come to this in a second. I'm going to, I'm going to share a story that was in the Shabbat table sparks, but not, maybe not everybody read the story, but we're going to talk about it in a second. So as we're praying for people, praying for souls, praying for holy sparks, praying for people, listen, we've been entrusted with a great gift. We've been entrusted with a precious diamond. That is, the, 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 the diamond that you've been given, that I've been given, is this gospel. Not that gospel, but this gospel. It's, it's, a, it's a diamond that's been concealed from the world for a long time. And Yeshua says, I want you to go out and preach this gospel. See, that's the great tragedy when people tell me, and it, listen, it happens from time to time and it's really sad and I'm not implicating any particular person. It's, just, it's my job to be the leader and to, to, to do what I can to save you and, and I hope you appreciate that and whatever, but... The, the great tragedy of people that get, you know, that go and lie to a Beit Dean in order to get into a community, the, the great tragedy of that is they've lost all perspective. They've lost the mission. It's become all about them. That's the real tragedy. That's the real, that's the real heartbreak, is that they were sent here to rescue people, and it's, it's, it'd be like James. You know, James, I'll pick on James for a second. King Jimmy, Yako over there. Yako was a firefighter. Suppose he's in the fire station and he's sitting there and he's got his all his gear and and he's in, he's involved in a he's he's involved in the Aliyah day. He's watching the Aliyah day and he's really into it because Rabbi's bringing down some amazing insights, which happens every day at nine thirty, Sundays at ten thirty. <laughs> and he's all into it and there's a call. 
somebody's house is burned to the ground. And Yaakov says, man, I can't go to that car right now. I gotta, I gotta, I'm, I'm learning some stuff. So lives are being lost and house, properties being burned into the ground and people are being terrified. And, but there he is. Holy, holy, holy. See, we can't be that kind of person that was so into our study books that we forget that the world is burning around us. We are sent here to be firefighters. You could say fire starters too, but fire starters in a good way. But remember that God uses that which wounds in order to heal. So if the world is burning down, then they need the lapid fire in order to put out the fire. It says here in Midrash Shabbat 22.6, it says, Rabbi Ami said, The evil inclination does not travel by the sides, but rather in the middle of the plaza. And when he observes someone grooming his eyes, fixing his hair, or lifting up his heels, he would say, this individual is mine. Let me say that again. Let me read that again. How many of your people... Now, this is, I'm, I'm getting ready to enter into dangerous territory here. But how many of you know... Don't, how many of you know people? Nobody here. Nobody watching. They're just, just always taking selfies of themselves. Staying in the mirror. Right? Sometimes davening. Shema Yisrael. Post that stuff on Facebook so everybody can see how righteous and holy you are. That's what it means here when it says grooming the eyes, fixing the hair, lifting up the heels. You know how lifting up the heels like, hey, look at me. Right? We take selfies sometimes as families. That's not what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The person who takes a selfie, you're having to try to have a conversation with them. And they're in the checkout line taking a selfie. The Yetzer Howard says, that person's mine. What's the scriptural basis for this? It says, Scripture states, have you seen a man who is wise in his own eyes? This gives hope to the one who is a bigger fool than he. Proverbs 26, 12. It says, Rabbi Ivan said, anyone who indulges his evil inclination in his youth it will end up ruling him, ruling over him in his old age. See, this is why we've got to encourage our youth. And, and I, I mentioned prayer a second ago and praying for people. We need to be praying for youth. We need to be praying for young children and youth in our synagogues. Because they're, they need to be training now. They need to be, be being strengthened now. Otherwise, when they're an adult... The Yetzer Howard will rule over him. That's why I've said, you know, when you, how important children's ministry is in the shul. And um, that in there, those children that are in there being taught, there's an 80% chance of them absorbing everything that they're being taught and, and, and making it a part of who they are. In here, where I'm talking to adults... There is, by um, statistics, there is a 13% chance that I will convince you to follow God. 80%, 13%. And we wonder why there's a generation gap. We wonder why the generations are going crazy. And the answer is because we're not investing our time into our children, into our youth, so that when they grow up... See, but we want people that are in here as adults who have already been moved in there 80%. A lot of times we just forget about that because, you know, it's a lot of hassle. And then we get in here, we try to, we try to spend all of our effort on the 13%. That's why I've said that, that when we talk about kids' ministry at the synagogue and youth ministry, it's incredibly important. And it's more challenging because kids are kids and youth are youth. But it'll increase your prayer life. And all the parents said... Amen. Help them, Lord. 
Master the Yetzirah, the Midrash Abbas says, or it'll master you. What talks about, this is kind of a, in addition to what I just read, it's talking about the Yetzirah, who he's talking to Cain, is it's, it crouches at the door. The, one of the rabbinic interpretations of that is that it, we think about crouching like it wants to leap on us and kill us, but one of the rabbinic ideas is that the, the sin is crouching at the door. In other words, it wants you to master it. It does not want to master you. The Yetzer Hara was actually given in order to be your aid in fulfilling your mission on the earth. It wants you to master it. It does not want to master you. But if you fail to master it, it will master you. It says here, thus our Midrash says that if the evil inclination comes to entice you, gladden it with words of Torah. What does it mean, gladden it with words of Torah? It didn't say rebuke, rebuke it with words of Torah. Get thee behind me. It didn't say that. It said gladden it with words of Torah. Why? It says, allow it to find its fulfillment through the controls and directions set by the Torah. And if you say it cannot be controlled, you are wrong. For the Torah says otherwise, God has already declared that it is longing to be mastered by you. So people say, I don't want to be married. Why? Because I don't want to be, you know, uh, uh, have to indulge my sensual nature and all that, blah, 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 blah. That's the wrong. You're supposed to master your evil inclination in order for it to serve God. So I believe that ambition is wrong. No, ungodly ambition is wrong. Righteous ambition is right. You know, righteous anger is good and all those kinds of things. We should be using Torah in order to master our evil urge. Nothing wrong with being confident. There's nothing wrong with being, uh, having pride, but you need to have pride in the right way. Nothing wrong with wanting to be beautiful or handsome. Some of us come by it naturally, but others work on it more, but Nothing wrong with that, but it has to be beautiful or, or handsome in the right way. It says, uh, <clears throat> can we really blame Adam? Many of us have said, myself included, is when we get to heaven, we're just going to have a conversation, a long conversation with Adam. There's an interesting insight here from Ma'am Loez about that, though, that really is humbling. And it says here, just before a person dies, he sees Adam. And Adam asks him, why are you leaving the world? Where are you going? The person naturally blames Adam and says, it's all your fault. I am dying because you brought death to the world. And Adam then says, all my life I committed only one sin. See how far the punishment exceeds? But now how many sins have you committed? This is done so that the person will know that he is dying because of his own sins. Wow. Now it does go on to say here, Man Luez, that there were that ultimately all men die, which is why the Mashiach cannot be just a man. It's He's just a man. He has no power to save. This is why the scripture says man does not have the power to save. Because it points out there were four men who were so righteous that the only reason they died was because of the sin of Adam. And these were Amram, that's Moses' father, Levi, Benjamin, and Jesse, David's father. Those are the four. These individuals did not have any sins that say to say, but what caused them to die was Adam's sin. Still they died because Adam had listened to the serpent's advice. Nevertheless, we can't, as individuals, we cannot blame Adam. We can't blame anybody. It's, we can't say, it's all your fault. Unless we're one of those four. But you can see, out of all the human beings who's ever lived, there has never been anybody but these four who could actually say to Adam, this is your fault. But there's always a chance for teshuva. I want to go back in Ma'am Loez's commentary to, to Genesis 4.16. Because 
Because I left off last week saying that as bad as Cain was and he introduced murder to the world, still God forgave him. And it says here, when Cain met Adam, Adam asked him, what was the result of your judgment? And Cain replied and said, I repented and God reduced my penalty. Beating himself, Adam said, so great is the power of repentance and I never even knew it. So great is the power of repentance, and I never even knew it. And Adam then composed the psalm of the Sabbath day, Psalm 92. Since this song is a song that speaks of repentance, this psalm begins with the words, It is good to confess to God. Although this is often translated, It's good to give thanks to God, this is not the true meaning. The meaning is, It's good to confess to God. This psalm is speaking of confession before God, which is why the sages have written that an hour before Shabbat begins is a really precious time to confess your sins from the previous week. And why do we do that? Because the Sabbath is our bride. And just like when a husband and wife marry, they fast and pray the day of their marriage, and it becomes like a miniature Yom Kippur for them so that they do not enter into the covenant with any spiritual baggage. Just like we don't want to enter into the Shabbat with all the regrets and failures from the previous week. We want to enter into the... Because what, is, what does Shabbat also represent? It represents a foretaste of the world to come. We want to enter into the world to come clean of our sins. So it says here, a prime element of repentance, a confession of each sin before God. But it is not enough to say the alphabetical confession found in the prayer book. We have committed crimes. We've rebelled. We've stolen. Rather, one must confess his sins specifically. Thus, for example, if a person has woken up late for the morning service, he should say, I've erred, I've sinned, I've done wrong, I've neglected to pray at the correct time, etc. In other words, we should just confess what we have done specifically before God. I want to share this insight here from Adam's repentance from Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer. It says, So he drew out the man, Genesis 3.24, driving out, and he went forth outside the Garden of Eden, and he, and he abode on Mount Moriah. For the gate of the Garden of Eden is nigh unto Mount Moriah. That's the Temple Mount. Thence he took him, and thither he made him return to the place where he was once taken, and it is said, till the ground from whence it was taken. And Rabbi Yehuda said, The Holy One, blessed be he, kept the Sabbath first in the heavenly regions, and Adam kept the Sabbath first in the lower regions. The Sabbath day protected him from all evil and confronted him on the account of all the doubts of his heart, as it is said, In the multitude of my doubts within me, thy comfort delight my soul. Rabbi Joshua ben Korkah said, from the tree under which they hid themselves, they took leaves and sewed them, as it is said, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, God made them clothing. As I shared in the Aliyah day, that clothing was taken to the ark. It ended up in the hands eventually of Nimrod, and then Esau killed Nimrod, took that coat. That coat was later worn by Jacob when Jacob deceived his father into blessing him, which is why Isaac said of Jacob, you smell like the fragrance of a field. He was talking about Ganadin. How did Isaac know what Ganadin smelled like? Because when he laid down on the altar, he was enveloped by the fragrance of Ganadin. Later, that coat that Jacob was given was given to Joseph. That's the coat of many colors. Okay. Why was it called the coat of many colors? It says here, Rabbi Eliezer said, From the skin which the serpent sloth off, the Holy One blessed be he took and made coats of glory. It says coats of light for Adam and his wife. And it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife coats of skin and clothed them. Adam and Eve were clothed with the garments of the serpent. And as serpent skin is often multicolored, that's why it's called the coat of many colors. And so when they took the coat back to their father and said, is this not the coat of your son? It had been dipped in the blood of what? A, a goat, right? 
He said, that's indeed his, his coat. Yeshua returns. He says he's going to be wearing a vesture dipped in blood. What's the goat, blood goats for? Blood of goats is for atonement. He's going to be wearing a vesture. He's going to wear the skin of the serpent dipped in blood. So the sin, what is Yeshua ultimately saying there? That, that the sin of Adam, the sin that started it all, is going to ultimately be atoned for by the death of the Messiah. There's a hope for us. There's hope, there's hope, there's hope. One, one last thing here. The question becomes, because we read about Enoch, how Enoch walked with God. The question becomes, was Enoch really a good example? Most people think. By the way, there's a note I just realized. It says here, Rabbi Yehuda bar Simeon said, it was fitting for Adam, the first man, that the Torah be given through him. God originally wanted Adam to receive the Torah and to be the one to disseminate Torah to everybody. Why? Why does it say that it was good for that to happen? And the answer is, for he was created by God himself. So what made Adam the best vessel to disseminate Torah to the whole universe was because he was made by the hand of God, not by a man or woman coming together in the normal way. But it goes on to say in the Midrash here, this is Midrash Rabbah 24.5, it goes on to say, but the problem is that God didn't trust him with the commandments because he'd already violated one. He's sure if he violated one, he'd violate them all. He said, in fact, it says here in the Midrash Rabbah, 48 positive commandments and 365 negative commandments. Why, surely, listen to the wording here. I want you to listen to this. Why, surely, he will not fulfill them. In Yeshua, the second Adam came and he specifically said, I did not come to abolish the Torah, but I came to fulfill them. Why? Because Adam, the first one, did not fulfill them. See, every single thing that the Messiah says has a reason why he's saying it. I came to fulfill the Torah. Why? Because that's where the first Adam failed. He did not come to fulfill it. But I want to conclude with this. Was Enoch, Enoch a good example? There's a whole insight here in the Midrash Shabbat that talks about the fact that Enoch's problem was that he secluded himself with God. He secluded himself with God, cutting himself off from society, focusing exclusively on bonding with his creator. He was free of distractions and negative influence. He made tremendous advances in his personal development. His spirit soared to great heights until he was living more in heaven than he was on earth. He was super, super, super stringent in his life with God. He just, he neglected everything that was carnal and was only with God. There's one problem, however. It says the path Enoch chose for himself, as exalted and effective as it may have been, was not the one God preferred for his servant. When creating the world, he had not wanted angels, he'd wanted humans. It says here, down-to-earth mortals who lived among and interacted with and exert a positive influence upon the people around them. Ironically, the souls of such people, when they complete their mission in this earth phase of life, rises in the next heavenly phase to a level even higher than that of the ministering angels. Many people say that Enoch became an angel, but that was actually a downgrade from what he was supposed to be because when you fulfill your mission on earth, when you yearn for souls and influence people to become born again with this gospel, when you die, you go above the angels. Why did, so why did Enoch, listen to this, this is good, why did he not become an angel and not go above them? Because he strove to be like the angels all of his life not wanting to be involved in any worldly thing. And God said, if that's what you seek, then that's what you'll inherit. You'll become like the angels. But I'm looking for humans who, unlike the angels, have to contend with their Yetzirah and know what it means to be in the world but not of the world, to eat with sinners and eat with tax collectors and pray for them and bring them into the kingdom without being brought down to their level. And when you do that, you go above the angels. 
See, many people think, well, I, think, I thought God called me to be this super, super, super stringent Jewish person who just spends my entire day with my nose in books and I never, no. No. He called you to spend time, in, like in Shabbat, I used to say many, many years ago, I haven't said it in a long time, but this is a place where we come to polish our shields and sharpen our swords. This is, this is our time to, to spend preparing for the battle the week ahead. And I don't mean battle in a negative sense. I mean battling for people's lives. It says, unfortunately, there was no grounds for God to have confidence that Enoch would cease and desist from this way of life and use his gifts and talents to preach to the people. So it said, God knew that Enoch's reclusiveness was not a choice he made out of strength, but it was a choice he had made out of weakness. Can I just read that to you again? Because I highlighted it here, right here. It says, God knew that Enoch's reclusiveness was not a choice he had made out of strength, but a choice he'd made out of weakness. I've mentioned this before, that many people look at monks, for instance, and they're like, man, those guys are so spiritual, and they're so spiritually strong that they can just re, re, be a recluse and, and, and be a monk, and that's awesome. And it's like, no, no, no. They're weak. That's why they're not out there in the world. See, the strong go to battle. The weak stay home. The guys that were strong in World War II were the guys on Omaha Beach fighting it. The guys that were weak were the ones who were too cowardly to go, which in that generation was practically nobody. You send the strong ones to do battle. You send the weak ones. You just stay back. That's why the priest stood up before the army and said, Anybody scared? You're scared? All right, don't go to battle with us. We can't have anybody scared. So was Enoch a good example? Not really. Because God didn't call us to be monks. He called us to be people who would be, who would rub arms with people, would invite people to our, our Sabbath table that have no idea what any of this is about. We'd invite people to our shul who did not grow up Jewish, that we wouldn't be afraid to go over somebody's house and eat with them. We may not eat their food, but we're going to, you know, we might have a carrot. <laughs> that we wouldn't be ashamed to invite people to our Hanukkah party or our Purim party and be okay around them when they make mistakes and say things. I just want to share these last few things, and I'll quit. It says, Rabbi Mikal said, this is, these are, this is in the Torah sparks, the table sparks, excuse me, Shabbat table sparks. Rabbi Mikal said, when the evil urge tries to tempt man to sin, it tempts him to become all too righteous. Let me read that again, because that's going to throw some people off. Because the evil urge, you think, well, the evil urge is going to tempt me to be a fornicator, a liar, a robber. Well, that's true if, if that's your inclination. But if the evil urge is looking at you and you're like, man, the evil urge is thinking, um, getting that guy to become an adulterer is not going to work. Getting that guy to go rob a bank, that's never going to happen. So here's what I can do. I can tempt him to become so righteous that he's no earthly good, then he'll lose all focus of his mission. And he'll become self-centered and utterly useless to God. We see this all the time when we see people who spend all their days in yeshiva studying. What good is that? Well, it's really doing a lot of good for them. Is it? But maybe it is. But, but that's not what God sent them to do. Rabbi Milka said, listen to this one. If you didn't believe that one, listen to this one. Rabbi Mikhail said, in every generation there are great zadokim who shirk the work of salvation. Now listen how they shirk it. They shirk the work of salvation. See, if you didn't read this, or maybe you read it and it, it, you missed it because it sounds real holy, because a lot of times we can sound real holy and be missing the boat. 
In every generation, there are great Zadokim who shirk the work of salvation by devoting themselves to the Torah. As they fulfill the commandments, each of them ponders on what holy place his soul came from and is intent on having it go home to that place after its earthly journey is accomplished. To rejoice in the light of heavenly wisdom. This is why to such a man the things of this earth are nothing. And though he is saddened by the misery among them, he puts the the little tear face on Facebook when he sees those in the stories. Although he's saddened by the misery among men and the bitter exile of Israel, this is not enough to move his heart to dare in prayer what must be dared. All his great longing is directed solely to his own homecoming. As it is written, one generation passes away and another generation comes, and the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to its place where he rises. Suns rise and go down and let the misery on earth endure. The generation of Adam was supposed to bring about the, the restoration, but instead they went the opposite direction. And there's two extremes. There's people who become irreligious and that's an extreme. And then there's people who become so religious, they're, they're, as, the, as the old cliche goes, they're so heavily mounted, minded, they're no earthly good. God's not looking for that. God is looking for warriors who will go out into the world and find a way to reach people, find a way to, to gather in the Holy Sparks. So in 5780, my heart's passion, my passionate cry for our community locally and worldwide would, it, would be that God would put in our hearts a desire. I'm not just talking about, oh, that'd be nice. Click the like button on Facebook. I'm talking about a passion God would give us that we would weep and, and yearn for people to come in, that we would, we would be like Abraham who would go out and invite people to come to the tent. Aren't you hungry? Aren't you thirsty? Would you like something to eat? And not to be like, like maybe like an Enoch where we're just focused so much on who we are that we don't really care about the family next door. We say, Baruch Haba Bashem Adonai.